Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand you remember having an impact on you as a young girl? One of my earliest memories was wanting a Cabbage Patch Kid doll and uh, the fact that they were very, very difficult to get. So even then I knew like, wow, they're on to something with this. You know, they're great marketers with the scarcity here. And I remember asking my parents, I want one for my birthday and for Christmas. And of course, they, having no idea what this was all about, <laughs> said, wait, what? There's a toy with a waiting list and we've got to go and wait in line for this? This is ridiculous. But I, I managed to get convince them and I'll, I'll never forget when I got my, my first Cabbage Patch Kid doll and I, I wore her to pieces over the years. Do you still have her? <laughs> I think my parents <laughs> yeah. do in, yeah. a, in a box somewhere. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Zena Arnold, the chief digital and marketing officer at Kimberly Clark, the Dallas-based consumer products company with about $19 billion in revenue. Kimberly Clark, or KC for short, was founded nearly 150 years ago and boasts $5 billion brands. Huggies, Kleenex, Kotex, Cottonelle, and Scott. Zena has a remarkably diverse career path with stints at GE, P&G, Kellogg's, and Google before stepping into her first CMO job at KC in April 2020. And she is in one big job. Zena oversees Kimberly Clark's global teams for consumer relationships and engagement, media and content, analytics and insights, agency operations, and marketing capabilities. Zena and I overlapped at P&G for a few years when I was global marketing officer, and she was a rising talent. Zena is married with a young son who is just graduating from Huggies to pull-ups. This is my conversation with Zena Arnold. Zena, welcome to the CMO Podcast. We have to start this discussion with travel. You and your husband have a goal of traveling to 100 countries in your lifetime, and you're at 43, I think. So you're That's about, right. You're about halfway there. So I want you to talk about why this is an important life goal for you two. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, for for both of us, um, the experience of travel is just such an enriching one on so many levels. There's, you know, meeting new people, seeing how different parts of the world live, experiencing different things, be that 
climate or food or or sights to see. Um, it's it's just really a fun experience, and uh, for for me at least, it's it's broadened my horizons in a lot of ways. It gets me to think differently about the things that I do. Well, you know, I know you do a lot of travel and business as well, right? We travel for personal reasons. We also travel for business, and we haven't done a whole lot of that in the last year and a half. But I want to ask you. When you do travel and business, do you take the time to get to know the city or the country that you're visiting, especially if it's your first time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite things, and I, I do this whether it's a business or a personal trip, um, starting uh, back in my P&G days, was to do a store check and going to the grocery store. I mean, I think it's just a fascinating slice of how people live in a, in a market. You get to see, okay, what are the things that they buy? Um, how are the formats of the stores set up? And it's just so fascinating because there's, in a lot of places, um, the, the international brands that, that we all know and love. But then there's so many other options in, in most places that it's fascinating to see and, and to understand what, what the competitive landscape looks like for products. Uh, I've also found it really interesting in going to certain countries and going to the grocery store when you see there's actually very few packaged products and it's mostly fresh things that people buy. And that kind of gives you a sense of what they do and how they live versus in, in other places. So yes, that's that's, that's one of my favorite things to, to go and do and, and just get a little bit of, of learning of the people. And I would pause on that. I think even if you're not in consumer products marketing, as I have been and you are, I think it's just a wonderful way to, as you, as you said, just dabble a little bit into how, what people, how they shop, what they shop for, what the dynamics are in the store. And I just think it's endlessly interesting. And I do the same. I, wherever I go, I go into the grocery stores, the convenience stores, and just look around. I mean, it's great fun, and you discover things. And, and you know, we all have to eat and snack when we travel. And it's a good, it's a good stop and, and look for things that what, what local people eat and snack. Exactly. It's great fun. So I want to move from travel to very early in your career. And you had a notable mm -hmm. hiccup when you started your career. And I think I have this right, but let me run this by you. You graduated from the Ohio State University with a computer science degree, and you had a job with a hot startup. And the dot-com bubble burst. The startup went out of business. You did not have a job. You moved home, which no recent graduate wants to do. But you got a job in a shopping mall in sales, I think. Mm -hmm. And you actually found it to be quite a remarkable development experience. So yes. I want you to take our listeners through how you turn these lemons into sort of lemonade. Take us through what your life was like that, that then what you learned and what influence that has on you up through today. Sure. You know, um, growing up, uh, being, um, Indian and American uh, had a very um, strict upbringing. You know, my parents were very focused on school and studies and achievement and, and instilled that in me from, from a young age. And so even um, when I went to college, it was every summer was all about an internship and, you know, what's going to get you a great job. And I was absolutely on that path, um, had an amazing job offer at this great um, dot com. Um, this was back in the, the early 
early 2000s. And I thought I've got it made. And, and then, um, you know, a couple months before I graduated, got this call that the company was going belly up and there, there was no job there. And I had no idea what I was going to do. It was the first time in my life that something I had planned out actually didn't work out. So I, I moved back home with my parents and, you know, my mom, um, brilliant woman that she is, said, you're not going to just sit around and sulk around and try to, you know, watch TV and, and just do nothing. You need to, to get a job. And if the only thing you can find right now is working at the mall, then that's what you're going to do. So I went and I, I got a job and, and uh, you know, as, as a retail sales associate and, you know, coming into it with a pretty big chip on my shoulder thinking I have a college degree, you know, this is not for me, but I guess I just have to do it for the time being. And it was just an amazing learning experience on a lot of levels. You know, I've I've met some amazing people and and still very very good friends with them to this day. Um, working there, uh, learning so much about the sales environment and how you need to sell things to to people, which again I had never really done before then. And and I think just an appreciation for um, there's there's a lot of hard work that happens in the world, and it isn't only with folks who have college degrees and, uh, you know, kind of go the professional route. Uh, There's a lot of really smart people doing other things and and getting exposure to that was was pretty, um, yeah, life-changing, I'd say. So what did you learn about yourself as a salesperson? Um, I, uh, I, I'd say I'm, I'm decent. I wouldn't say I'm great at it, uh, but, but pretty good. You know, probably the things that, that I picked up on that I still use to this day, um, are listening, trying to understand, uh, what, what people are truly looking for, trying to get a deeper sense of, of what motivates them. And that's, uh, something that, you know, I think we all use in, in our lives all the time, whether it's, it's professionally at work or dealing with family, friends, um, other people in our communities. And it's, uh, it's helped me a lot. So you went from that job in sales in a shopping mall in Cincinnati, I believe, yep. to work for General Electric. And then you went to P&G and then you went to Kellogg's and then Google and then KC for your first CMO job. So that's quite a bunch of companies you work for they would make most most admired lists that are out there you know from from media companies so i'd like you to continue in this leadership thing you started in the leadership topic you started in sales what's one lesson you took from each of those remarkable companies that you have carried forward to be the leader that you are today zena well, it's hard to pick just one thing from each of those places. I, I learned I learned so much everywhere. Um, that that first professional job that you mentioned at GE uh, was was great because this was one that um, sort of bridged the two worlds for me of of tech and marketing. So I started there as a product and product marketing lead for some technical products that this division of GE sold. So servers and workstations, things 
things like that to small and medium-sized businesses. And so I knew the tech side really, really well, but hadn't really been that exposed to the commercial side. And GE is, is similar to P&G and, and um, Kellogg and, and Kimberly-Clark in that they view marketing as a broader function than just creating marketing communications. It's actually about running a business and figuring out how you're going to grow. And and so getting exposure to that and the business side of, of tech made me really actually want to do more in, in the business side. And and because I'm a Cincinnati townie, so I, I moved there when I was five and, and grew up there, knew a ton of people at P&G. And a number of people said, well, if you like marketing, you know, the best place to do it in the whole world is in your own backyard. You should check out P&G. And so um, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, they were hiring a bit off cycle. I don't have an MBA, so I didn't come in the the normal way. But uh, but found a great a great role there and and started. And it really, P and G is where I learned all of the the fundamentals of of marketing. Um, as you well know, you know, thinking through everything from what's what's a great insight to how do you deliver the right communication. To to how do you manage a business? Um, so, so many, many great things there on, on the fundamentals. Um, I went to Kellogg for a little bit after that. Um, also learned some wonderful things there. I think reapplying a lot of what I had learned um, at, at P&G, but different sorts of brands and, and getting into the food industry, um, which, which is really unique and, and different from even the rest of consumer packaged goods, I'd say. Uh, we were dealing with and needing to convince consumers of, of the benefits of our nutritional offerings, which was something that I worked on and, and really enjoyed. Um, and, and so I, I didn't really have a, a set um, agenda to, to leave, but I got this call. Um, and, and at the time, it was Google, and they wanted people with that more traditional experience to come to Google. And I thought, wow, this is just this perfect opportunity for me to go back to the tech roots that I have and bring all of the marketing um, that uh, I, I learned along the way in, in these classical environments. And so... Coming to Google, I mean, absolutely amazing experience. You know, uh, I, not that I was there in the early days by any means, but um, even just watching the company grow and change over the almost seven years that I was there, it, it was remarkable to see and to, to realize the growth that was happening all, all around us. Uh, there, you know... Yeah, Google is just a fantastic environment for experimentation, um, for leaning into change, for, you know, really just um, being very, very uh, growth focused. And, and you know, CPG, um, while I think it's shifting now and, and growth is, is more and more important, you know, uh, 10 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the first word on everyone's lips there. It was more about how do we get more efficient and um, going to a growth environment, I think, was just so incredibly uh, helpful for me in my growth and my development. So learned a lot about agility and, and how to always think with that, that growth, growth mindset. 
you know, as amazing as as a company that Google is, um, it's definitely not a marketing company. You know, they uh, they think about marketing as as that marketing communications piece, and really the the strategy of the company is is driven by um, the the engineers and and product managers. And so I, I spent my last couple of years there in the product team, doing more business operations roles, and got a lot out of that. But I missed the marketing side. I missed the consumer insight piece. And so, you know, when I had this opportunity to come back to CPG and, and in this, you know, wonderful leadership role at a great company, I thought, wow, this is going to be a really, really good way to go back to, to my roots, be able to bring some of the things that I learned um, about agility, about transformation, about growth to an environment that, um, that you know, needs to embrace that. And I, I believe that of, of every company now, you know, you can't really be... Um, uh, just about efficiency if if you want to be around in another 20, 50, 100 years, you, you really need to be thinking about growth. So great opportunity for me to come and, and help do that at Kimberly-Clark. In that amazing journey you've been on through these incredible companies, has there been a mentor or two that's had an outsized impact on you? Ah, yeah, there, there have been a few, you know, I, um, I, I still to this day, I'm, I'm in touch with, uh, you know, my first boss at um, GE, who has, has been a wonderful mentor and leader, and he's CEO of a company today. And just getting his perspective on some of the big moves that I've wanted to make um, have has been really, really helpful. Um, again, someone who's not uh, really a marketer, so he doesn't know much about about the the uh, technicalities of, of my role, but but thinks about broadly, you know, these are the, the types of things you should aim for and, and get out of career moves that you make. Uh, so so yes, there um, definitely in touch with several people from from the P and G days. Had had the good fortune of of having a lot of great um, managers and mentors there. Um, same same with um, Google. You know, really uh, have have stayed in close. Time touch with several people that, that I work with there and, and have had a chance to talk to them about what the transition is like coming out of Google <laughs> and, and back into, uh, as we say, the real world in, in other companies. So yeah, I'd say there's, there's been um, several through the years and, and you know, try to, to stay in touch with them and continue to get their, their wisdom as I go. How do you tap, tap into mentors, Zena? Do you call them episodically? Do you have regular sessions with people to bounce ideas off of? How do you, how do you think about mentors in your life now? Uh, I wish I could say that I had regular sessions with them, but um, I think everyone's calendar uh, is is always challenging to have that. Usually, I, I reach out um, with with one of two things: one, something that makes me think of of them and could perhaps help them, whether it's a connection or whether it's some uh, information, an article, something like that to pass along. Um, and then the other is when you know I would love to get some of their time to ask them a question. And, and whether that's uh, something professional about uh, a type of work that I'm doing or whether it's personal or, or I'll say more about the career moves that I want to make. Uh, and sometimes even it is, it is personal, those who, who become um, friends as well as, as mentors. What have you discovered is your greatest strength from these experiences that you've had? 
you had to put it into, you know, people call it superpower. But what, what do you what do you feel is your greatest strength? And, and what as a leader do you continue to work on? I would say a strength of mine is adaptability and embracing change. You know, I, I mentioned to you the start of my career didn't exactly go how, how I wanted it to go, uh, but but embracing the situation that I was in and trying to make the best of it. Um, I, I think embracing some of the opportunities that came my way, even at the, the bigger companies that I was at, uh, trying to make the most of those. You know, one of the experiences I, I always talk about loving at, at P&G was when you know, I worked on um, Olay, and and uh, this was a, a new product we were trying to to launch as a fast follow to um, another industry player that had launched something that had gone really big in short timing. It was this eye roller product, and and it was just so much fun because we we did it everything in in a new way. So we didn't go through the very elaborate, as you probably remember, simple process and all the stage gates and everything else it was hey guys we need to get something out there in the market and and do it quickly um, so we um, we we did it and and kind of broke a lot of the typical rules doing it but it was a lot of fun and and kind of helped form a new model for some of these fast innovations that we wanted to make so yeah I'd say I, I really thrive on on the adaptability and, and kind of embracing change in the world and, and trying to make the most of it no matter um, what it brings. And how about what are you working on? Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm working on, uh, I'd say, trying to be more um, of a, a broad consensus builder. And I think this is something that I, I learned early on at P&G days and, and um, Kellogg as well. But I think some of it was was beaten out of me at Google, <laughs> where it was much more about the speed and the results. And there wasn't always time to build consensus. And, and that was okay, because it was culturally part of the, the ethos of the place. Um, one of the things now kind of reentering the, the CPG world is, okay, Zeno, you can't move quite as fast as you're used to and make all of these unilateral decisions, you need to bring everyone along and, and make sure that they're understanding of what you want to do and why. And so it's it's definitely something I'm having to, to relearn in, in the environment that I'm in. But, you know, I, back to being adaptable, I, I think I'm, I'm doing it, at least at least trying. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. I've heard you speak about three attributes that are important for you in working with a team or a company. One is the people that you'll be with every day. The second is 
an environment where you're always you are always learning something new. And the last one is support from management for you to reach your aspirations. So you must have found that in KC to have made the jump from this very hot tech company, Google, which one of the most important, largest companies in the world, to join KC, which is almost 150 years old in a much more mm -hmm. stable business. So talk a bit about the why behind making the jump and how it reflected those attributes that I've heard you speak about. Yeah, you know, when I, I first started speaking with folks at, at the company, um, it, it was just really refreshing to hear their take on how they were approaching some of these challenges. They, they were realizing, look, growth is harder and harder to come by if we use our normal playbooks. And we, we need some help and some different thinking to, to, you know, get us into a different mindset for, for setting all of our, our marketers up for for growth. And, you know, again, meeting the people, talking to them about what they wanted to do, the ambition that they had, and yet the humility that, that was also there. Um, and, you know, Casey isn't exactly an underdog. It's, we're a huge company, but I think that, that we come at things in a bit of a scrappier way than, than sometimes, um, you know, some of our competitors uh, like P&G do. And so just, just, that approach of being open to change and ready to try new and different things um, was, was super appealing to me. The, the company also just has a wonderful culture of care, and, and that's from everything uh, in, that we do, like caring for our, our consumers and, and you know, the products that we make are often about um, care in some way uh, to the people and how we all interact with, with each other. So the, the overall culture just struck me as a really, um, really great place to be and, and very, very supportive. And then, you know, broadly from a career experiences standpoint, for me, it was so exciting to be able to come in and help with this transformation, this, this digital transformation that that we're trying to make, which which is about how do we do marketing in a digital first world, and uh, just the opportunity to come in and and you know shape the thinking around that, help grow that with with all the the marketers that we have globally was was just an undeniable opportunity. So you're about eighteen months into your first CMO job, and I love your title, Chief Digital and Marketing Officer. I mean they. They all should have the title, frankly. So you're about a year and a half in. So I want you to talk about what you're focused on now. Is it different from when you came in? And is there anything that's really surprised you in your first year and a half? As I mentioned, my remit's all about driving the transformation of our marketing for digital first world. And that, that really means how do we reach and engage our consumers, getting this shift from mass advertising to building more personalized relationships with them. And, and that's the holy grail. I think it has been for a lot of people for a long time, but it was never possible for you know CPG brands because we also had to have scale. Now the magic is is it is possible with scale with data and technology so 
we're really, um, you know, driving this this new way of marketing through this this broad vision and strategy, but then also doing the the things that you need to support that. You know, building the right tech stack, um, building the skills that are needed in the marketers um, to, in order to to do it, and then you know, supporting throughout to to ensure that um, we we have success. So uh, it's it's a long process transformation. It's not it's not easy, but I'm just really, really happy to see that we've been able to make a lot of really significant progress in, in both the mindset and, and the skills um, of, of our folks. Um, as far as uh, what's what's changed, you know, I, I started um, in the still fairly early days of the pandemic, um, back when we thought it would just be a few weeks or, or months. And then, you know, now it's stretched out mm-hmm. and, and who knows when it's going to end. Um, I, I think for me, the the really exciting thing was just coming in and seeing the amazing work that the teams were able to do in the pandemic, like being completely remote and yet still coming up with really amazing campaigns, especially for, for the moment. You might have seen um, the uh, Share a Square campaign that we did for Cottonelle because you probably recall the hoarding that was going on of of toilet paper at the time. And I I thought it was just brilliant work that the team did of of realizing that there's this this behavior that's happening that on one hand, it's it's a good thing, right? Someone is is clamoring for your product and and ripping it off the shelf. And yet on on the other side... it wasn't great behavior because there's actually no need whatsoever to, to stockpile toilet paper. And yet it was this irrational behavior that was happening. And the team said, we, we need to think about what, what's right for you know the, the consumer in the long term. And that's, that's not hoarding. So we were actually telling people don't buy our product because you, you don't need that much of it. Right. And it's, it's just a, a contrary position for most marketers. And yet the team had the, the foresight, the brilliance, and and then we're able to execute that, um, you know, right in the first early weeks of the pandemic. And so coming in, you know, for me and seeing that sort of work, um, it's like, wow, this is a really motivated team and a team that that has shown they can move quickly, they can change fast if they need to. And I think that was a really great muscle that that was developed then that uh, I've been, you know, leaning on ever since to say, look, you know, we, we know change is hard, but you were able to do it. Look at the awesome, you know, programs that you did in this this very, very complex time. Um, that means we can do other changes and, and we've got that muscle. So it was really, really great to, to see that. Uh, as far as things being surprising, um, don't know that there was anything drastically surprising. I mean, I, I think a part of me just continues to be surprised at how much work we can all get done being 100% remote. Uh, we're still not back in the office, so it's it's been you know a year and a half now, and uh, yet we're we're still able to crank things out. We're still able to collaborate. Um, just there's a lot that gets done now. 
I do think, and especially for someone like myself who started in the pandemic, there's there's connections that I'm missing and and like levels, I'll say deeper connections that I, I really want to make with folks that I haven't had a chance to do. So uh, I'm definitely yearning for being back in the office at least part of the time to get more of that face-to-face time. But uh, just been really surprised and, and humbled by everything that the team has been able to do despite all of these these obstacles. Zine, I want to pause on that. It was a a great, uh, I think a great description of what every CMO's job at the end of the day is or should be, and that is to transform their organization to be more consumer-centric, digital-first, relationship-based, and moving from a more traditional, scaled way of marketing that many of us grew up with. That's a heavy order. You're in the middle of it at KC. And I'd like you to talk, and you, you shared some examples of what it, uh, initiatives came, have come out of that, but talk a little bit more about how you do that and how do you know you're starting to succeed to move from a traditional awareness-based organization to one that is building relationships with people that obviously uh, benefit your brands. So talk a bit about how you do it. How do you, how do you know you're making progress? And how does it affect your measurement? And, and if you had advice for someone who's trying to do the same, what are the watchouts? What are the special challenges? That's a loaded question, but it's an important one. Yeah, I, I don't think there's one way to do it. There's a lot of ways to drive to drive change um, effectively. But what I've really found to to work here so far is starting with the the vision of where do we want to go and why why is this important? You know, telling the story of how things have changed, which they really have dramatically in in a lot of different ways, and and ensuring everybody knows and and really understands that. And I think this is one area when it comes to just the broad shift of marketing that because we are all consumers, most people know and grasp pretty quickly that, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily sitting in front of a television without doing anything else um, like I might have done 20 years ago. Uh, maybe I still sit in front of the TV, but now I'm also on my phone and I'm also doing other things and talking to my voice assistant. And there's, you know, so many more things that we all have in our lives. So so I think the, the case for change is usually um, fairly easy when it comes to to marketers, um, at least those you know who who are embracing a lot of these new ways of engagement. But then it's it's about setting the right strategies. So what are the choices that you're going to make to activate against that vision? Because everything is changing, and you could um, you know really look at every single piece of your your marketing um, organization and and uh, you know. Uh, tools and and capabilities and say it all needs to change now. But uh, as you know, a good strategy is a choice. So where are the particular places that you want to to focus on. And then especially now in this environment, I think that key to enabling those strategies is is building the right tech stack to support it. You know, in the past, it was just we can change a few things in in how we brief our agencies to to change how how they, they do their work. But now so many of the things that we want to enable about these relationships is about the tech stack. So how do you develop 
develop that? How do you you build that? Um, and then probably the most important thing is how do you build the skills needed in people to um, actually activate against you know this this vision strategy and and uh, the stack that you've built to enable it? It's it's really about getting them the right skills. It's about, uh, you know, the training that comes with that. It's about doing it. Um, and, and this is one where, you know, we've been pushing a lot of people to let's get test plans. Let's get pilot plans. Let's, because the way you really learn is by doing, not, not by, um, you know, reading decks or, or doing e-learning. It's really about getting out there and, and trying it. So what are the ways we can enable our teams to do that at fairly low risk and low resource? And, I think that's the other magic of, of data and technology. And in, in the past, it was really hard to do a campaign at, at small scale. You know, I remember early in, in my career and going to uh, test markets that we had in Boise, Idaho for Folgers. You know, that's how you would test something is you would have to have a test market. And now, gosh, you can run a test market every minute, you know, in a certain targeted group of people in, in digital media. So um, enabling that kind of test and trying um, and and the mindset behind that of the organization of this is how we need to try and test it embrace that that it's quick and it might not be super robust with months of data or deep deep analysis that's that's okay as long as you get some good signals that this is working double down put in a little more see what um, what else you can drive out of it and and you know, continue to build on on your learnings in that way how can you tell Zena you're making progress? What is it about the culture, the results, the work that tells you you're on the right track? Yeah, a key part of strategy setting is what are your metrics behind them and and ensuring that you have things that are um, measurable and and impactful. And, you know, it's it's been interesting because in, in the role that I'm in now, you know, I'm not directly managing the business. So in, in the past, you know, my roles were, okay, are we increasing sales? Are we increasing share? Like that's the things that you look at. And, you know, most of our, our marketers who are on the, the going business side, that that's still what they they look at and drive at the end of the day but but for driving the transformation it's also important to say what are the Kind of interim metrics that you've got to have. They're going to drive those things in the long term, but we've got to make sure that we're looking at the right things to drive the behaviors that that we want to do. So you know, whether that's uh, for us looking at first party data acquisition and utilization, um, whether it's it's looking at um, various, uh, you know, ROI metrics to ensure that we're, we're optimizing our spend personalization in the the way that we reach our consumers. It's it's all of those things. And um, we're also working on building kind of the right agile measurement systems. So you don't wait for six months to get a report on how you know your campaign went it's it's real time these days and you can again do the double down on what's working and and pivot away from what's not so your advice to someone on a similar journey what's the one the one biggest piece of advice or watch out you would have for our listeners who would like to do what you're doing that's a good question. I mean, I, I think it's it's embrace this mindset of of growth and failure um, mm-hmm. along the way, and that's that's fine. And I I realize you know in, in a 
place like Google, where I was before, it's a lot easier to say that because the resources are endless and <laughs> there isn't as much of a focus on um, you know, smaller opportunities of growth. But uh, again, this is why I, I really love the data and technology space, because I, I think it's democratized trying a lot of new things to, to anyone, you know, anyone, no matter the size of your business, you can now test and try new ways of reaching your consumer and how you communicate with them at, at really low cost. So um, I'd say just embrace that that ownership of we're going to try a lot of things. We're going to see um, what what succeeds and, and what doesn't. And, um, you know, making that um, choice, uh, I'd say the important distinction is in not saying do everything, try everything. There's a lot of shiny things in the world right now. Doing fewer and, and bigger and better is definitely the right approach. But it's more of the how that you do a lot of iteration on. And, and once you've decided this is a strategic area of importance, don't get married to one particular path to get there. Try a lot of different things in order to see what, what works. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You come in from the outside from Google to a senior role at KC and your remit is to lead a transformation of how you market. And as you said, you're in an influence role. I was in one of those as well at P&G. Most of your marketers are in the business unit. How did you build a coalition? How did you gain credibility quickly? How did you get everyone on the same transformation strategies and on the same page with the vision? Uh, you said the compelling case for change is obvious. Everyone's living it. But then how did you enlist everyone to kind of have passion for it, to be on the same, to be on your team, you know, and to have a similar vision for the company? Well, I'm still still learning that and still doing it. I, I won't say it's all solved and and uh, we're we're you know all running together in in uh, the same direction yet. But but we've made a ton of progress. And um, for for me, it's it's uh, truly about that uh, shared goal piece. Like what are what are we both trying to do? As in myself and driving a capability and and someone driving the business. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's about driving the business. So let me tell you how this capability is going to help you drive your business in new and, and exciting ways. Um, I think another great thing that we've done is pull together a lot of people from different cross-functional areas into very agile, like scrum teams for, for top initiatives. And this has been amazing to see because back when I was at P&G and Kellogg, we, we didn't operate this way, but it's similar 
to how Google operates. And what we've done is for a few key priority initiatives, we pull together people and we have a sprint process where, you know, instead of the typical, let's have a team meeting, we have follow-ups, let's get back together in another two weeks with the updates. It's let's put all of these eight people in a room together or a virtual room these days and and say, you're going to sit here for five hours. What are you going to crank through? Make the decisions right here. You know, do the work right now. How are we going to move stuff forward? And and it's it's just been amazing because we've seen months slash years of work happening in, in weeks. So some of those types of things um, have, have been game changers for us to, to really um, drive the change quickly. I've heard you speak about brand responsibility as an area of focus for yours. And I've heard your that you have, you're very proud of the work you've done with the teams at KC and getting very clear on what their brand responsibility pillars are so that when things happen in culture and society, it's a guiding light for how you will respond, how you will find your voice. So I'd like you to talk a bit about that. Why was that a choice you made? How have you done that? And how has it helped you be a better company and a better brand builder? Yeah, I, I'd say it's it's something that's very personally affecting to me as a woman of color. Um, I've I've experienced it my my whole life, and and which is just being an outsider to most situations. And so I've I've always had an awareness of it and and a passion for helping to drive change in in this area. And really, last summer, um, you know, it was, I was very new in in the job, and as as we all know. There was a lot of social justice activities happening, you know, after the murder of George Floyd and um, Breonna Taylor and, and several others. There was just a level of awareness of it that hadn't really existed before in in everyone. And I think it, it was a galvanizing moment for for us. And as an organization, I'm I'm so proud and happy that you know we we um, really rallied to have a lot of great internal conversations about how are people feeling, what's what's happening, what are things that we can do as leaders and as a company to make everyone in our organization feel like they are included in everything that, that we do. And as we were having these conversations, we also started to think about, well, it's it's not just about our employees, though that's a very important place to start. Um, more broadly, like we are a big marketer out in the ecosystem. We spend a lot of money. We have a lot of influence. How are we using that to drive some of the change that we want to see in the world? And, and whether that's that's with the types of people that we hire and work with at, at agencies or in the ecosystem, ensuring that that we're, we're um, you know, doing a lot there in the IND realm, whether it's representation and in, in our ads and, and ensuring that we're reflecting the broad consumer base that we serve, um, whether it's, it's you know, uh, things like, like ensuring consumer, um, uh, uh, like data privacy, uh, because that's, that's even another piece of, of how we, we serve people um, as, as brands. So we broadly thought about these things and, and issued um, our brand responsibility guidelines and principles to our teams internally. And it was really, really great because it became a rallying point for teams to see like, okay, we, we care about this and these are some things that I can and, and should do. 
And it's really just the start because there's there's a lot that comes from that. We we had several training sessions. We have um, goals that we've set for for the teams and for our work um, behind these principles. Um, still early days, I'd say, but just the fact that we were able to rally behind that, that people saw it as something important and and worth the conversation. And and I hope even if if um, behaviors or or even if results haven't changed drastically. Yet it, it's just bringing it to top of mind, and and the conversations that we want people to have about this, just to ensure, hey, is every piece of work that you're putting out there is that really representative of of your consumer base? Just some quick questions that people can ask themselves, and and we've seen it in in the work that our teams have been have been doing. You know, some wonderful initiatives, everything from um, you know the the huggy spot in in the big game um, being. Really Really inclusive and showcasing a lot of different types of, of parents and, and babies um, to a wonderful program we, we had here in, in the U.S. with Cottonelle and Black Health, where we did a partnership um, to get more people talking about colorectal health, which is not really a topic a lot of people want to talk about, but it, it's um, something that's, that's important and actually tends to over-index in the African-American population. So, you know, things like that that uh, are both purpose purpose-driven and um, focused on on how we can drive the the inclusiveness that we want to have 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 been really wonderful to see. So, you know, any tips on how you did this with your brand teams? Did you follow some sort of methodology? Did you did you have a framework that you wanted people to think about and engage in so you all aligned on what you wanted this brand to stand for in terms of its responsibilities? So any any counsel or tips or advice from how you did this work? Yeah, the the first step was just the principles themselves for this is what we stand for and and having those down on paper just helped again with the conversation. So people had something to to read, to internalize, they knew the right questions to ask uh behind each of these these areas and and you know, really started to to just enter their awareness um in in a more conscious way. Um so so that's where we started started, you know, and then, uh, as I mentioned, doing um, training, getting people to, again, open their their um, their thoughts to, gosh, you know, th- this might not be something that was always top of mind for me before, but it really should be. And this is, um, you know, important for how we need to show up in the world. Um, so I- I'd say starting with with the principles, so folks know really what, what you stand for, and then what are the key questions that you want them to answer? Answer or to at least think about when when they're um, doing everything from evaluating creative to media plans to um, you know reaching out to consumers one to one through CRM. It's it's you know all linked together and an important part of of how we communicate. It seems like not a day goes by when I don't talk to someone who's asking about how to respond to something happening in the world from their company or from, as as this brand responsibility exercise helped you with that about when and how you should respond when something's going on in society, in the country, in the world. Uh, 
Um, in some senses, I would say so. I mean, again, the the point of getting these out there is is knowing um, how we should think about the things that we do um, out out in the world as marketers. And uh, you know, it's it's hard to say at a broad level you should always respond in this way or at this time. I think part of our our responsibility guidelines are you know lean on on your brand purpose, lean on on what um, your brand stands for and and you know that really should guide the responses that that you make um I, I will say consumers expect a lot more you know the days of being completely silent on a lot of topics that those have gone by the wayside you know you you can't just simply stand by people expect um uh, brands to to take a stand but i think the the best way to do it is when it authentically lines up with your purpose uh if you keep trying to comment on every um Thing that happens, you kind of lose some of the impact of, of the statements that you do make. I want to move now into the creative brief section of the podcast where we learn a little bit more about you and your, your view of marketing and brands. You were a very strong student growing up, but you learned, and I'm quoting you here, it's not about the perfect scores. It's more the connections you are making with people in your life. So when did you have that revelation? Mm, I think it was probably fairly early on in in my career, you know, um, GE, and I'll say especially at P and G days, because um, you know the the first things you want to do um, in your career, you assume it's it's just like school. Let me put my head down and try to, you know, write the best um, slide deck or do the best spreadsheet that I can. And here you go, boss. You know, it's great, right? And, you know, I quickly realized that actually my skills in, in doing this, this piece of work are important, but what really makes it is including a lot of other people and their thinking in it too. And so the, the you know, typical um, school mindset of you, you can't work with other people, you've got to, you know, do your own work and, and get your own grade uh, was was not really the way of, of the world, especially in, in these, you know, commercial functions where you've got to drive a coalition, you've got to, um, you know, have, have people come along to to the ideas and the things that that you want to do so learn that that early on and and still working on it to this day what's the one campaign or initiative in your career that you are most proud of Wow, I've worked on a lot of great um, campaigns I've, I've been really lucky um, I'd say probably the one I'm most proud of is when I worked um, at Google on Chromebooks. And we were, um, you know, an established brand like Chromebooks had launched maybe uh, six, seven years prior, but they had really been pigeonholed into um, schools. And so it it was a fantastic business that that was really good for us, but it was also almost a negative in consumer brand equity because most consumers thought, oh yeah, Chromebooks, those are those computers for kids, right? I, I could never use that. I need I need a Mac or I need a Windows machine. And and you know, this is the magic of Google. There's so many brilliant people that work there um, and, and engineers with passion that, you know, all along they had been doing all of these wonderful improvements to the operating system. And Chromebooks aren't what they were when they launched, which was just purely a browser on a piece of hardware. It was really a full-fledged operating system you can use 
them offline. You can actually use them with apps. It's frankly one of the few um, operating systems that's been built in the mobile mindset and mobile age. So you know, it was this really wonderful marketing problem of we've got a great product, but people think of us one way and we have to think of them, uh, have to change how they think of us. And and so developing a, a positioning for them in this, this new um, consumer world that we wanted to grow in, um, developing all of the, the marketing around that. And, and again, not just things like ads, but how do we get influencers talking about this? How do we um, also have a really great experience experience from you know, the unboxing and setting it up, um, all of these things and, and thinking about it with that holistic mindset. So it, it was really, really fun. Launched a huge campaign, uh, biggest one since you know Chromebooks launched and saw huge, huge results um, almost immediately. Like that um, holiday season when we launched the campaign was the first time that we ever overtook um, Mac market share in the US. So all of a sudden it was like, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> who is this Chromebooks? You know, they used to be a single digit share and, and they've, you know, doubled, almost tripled that in this holiday season because people are thinking of them in a new way. So it was, um, it was a lot of fun to, to be, um, you know, faced with that challenge and then to figure out how to overcome it. And, and uh, seeing the great results was just the cherry on top. Zena, thank you. This has been a marvelous discussion, just full of uh, vitality and energy and positivism and lots and lots of great learning. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jim. Really love talking to you. And um, yeah, it's been great. Thanks. That was my conversation with Zena Arnold. Three takeaways from this one for your business and your life. First one is look in every life experience and every job for maximizing the development for you as a leader. Zena talked about her first job out of college in a shopping mall after the company she was going to work for went bankrupt and how it turned out to be a most remarkable development experience for her. Second takeaway, get very clear on the brand responsibility pillars for the brand that you were working on. Zena talked about how Kimberly Clark has gotten very clear on linking the pillars of each brand's responsibility to their brand purpose and how that is helping guide their actions in society and culture today. Third takeaway, learn by doing. Zena is in the middle of, with her team, a large marketing transformation at Kimberly Clark moving from a mass traditional marketing model to one that is personalized and focused on building relationships. She and her team have to develop new skills, new processes, new capabilities, and you just simply have to start doing it. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.